Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've reached the end of another week here on Political Rewind, and um, I'm very happy that you could all be with us. This is, of course, a major weekend for uh, people of various religions, which is what we're going to talk about on the show today. And, And before I introduce the panel, I want to tell you just a little story that relates to the conversation uh, we're going to be having. Um, A number of years ago, on a visit to Israel, uh, one afternoon I went to the Western Wall, which is um, one of the holiest sites in Judaism. It's a remnant of the Second Temple, which was destroyed by the Romans in 70 in the Common Era. Um, And and as always, when you're at the Wall, you can hear around you um, the prayers in Hebrew um, of of the people who have come to uh, pray at one of their, their the holiest sites in Judaism. So I'm listening to the Hebrew prayers, and at that moment, a sudden moment, um, a Muslim cleric uh, begins calling to, uh, to prayer from the loudspeaker in the Al-Aqsa uh, mosque, which literally is right above the wall. So I'm hearing the Arabic. I'm hearing the Hebrew prayers at the same time, and then the bells on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is one of the holiest uh, sites in Christianity. It is the site of Jesus' tomb, the tomb from which he arose, which is what we talk about on Easter, all happened simultaneously. And for me, it was a remarkable moment, a convergence of faiths, among other things, it told me that whether you believe deeply in God or not, there is something incredibly special about uh, Israel, about Jerusalem, that holy land. Um, and, and we have that kind of convergence today. Uh, in fact, three holidays of the major uh, faiths. It is Good Friday, of course, for Christians. It's the first night of Passover uh, for Jews. Those two days rarely come together. But to add to that, it is also we're in the middle of Ramadan. We're right in the middle of the ninth month in the lunar calendar of Ramadan. So to me, this is a perfect day to talk about faith and how our religious leaders, our community leaders are navigating through what are clearly difficult times for the soul right now. So I'm thrilled to have a wonderful panel to do just that. Let me start, of course, by uh, saying hello to my Friday partner from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Patricia Murphy, political reporter, the uh, author of the political column, Political Insider, which you read on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and person who oversees uh, the jolt at AJC.com. Patricia, are you getting set? You have a mixed household in, in, in your case, right? So you have yes. to, you're preparing for what, two holidays? <laughs> yes, we have an interfaith marriage, and uh, I'll be going over to my in-laws tonight for Passover Seder, which um, my uh, mother-in-law is so kind to host because that takes a lot off of our plates, literally. And then uh, we'll be going to my parents for Easter Sunday, and my children um, enjoy all of them equally. But it's rare that we get to do it all uh, within the same weekend, so we're very excited about it. Yeah, I'm very glad you're here. I'm from an interfaith marriage myself. My father was a Catholic. My mother was Jewish. I got both experiences. So I feel pretty well equipped to have part of this conversation, at least. Um, We're also joined today by Reverend Dr. Uh, Kevin Muriel, who is the senior pastor of Cascade United Methodist Church. Um, Dr. Muriel, thank you. I'm assuming that this is a pretty busy time for you. So I'm very grateful to you for uh, taking an hour to be with us today. Thank you for having me. It's um, it is a very busy time, but uh, this is such an important conversation, and just glad to be here with everyone. Um, we're also joined by uh, Rabbi Rachel Bregman, who is down in Brunswick at Temple Beth Tefila, a Reform synagogue in uh, Brunswick. R- Rachel was Rabbi Bregman was at the temple here in Atlanta. Uh, uh, it, 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 Rabbi Bregman. Um, 
services around Passover take place mostly around tables at seders, not in your in your synagogue, right? Correct. Uh, right now, we're also very busy, and but a lot of that being busy is taking place at home. So in the background, you know, you you, you can't smell what's going on in my kitchen, but the, the chicken soup <laughs> is going, the masa balls are doing their thing, the, you know, it's, Great to multitask and have this moment of spiritual engagement around this beautiful, beautiful topic while also feeling like Passover is, is coming in today. So thank you for yeah, having me here. Um, well, again, I'm thankful that you were able to take some time to do this. Sumaya Khalifa is a lay leader, uh, but she's one of the most important lay leaders in, uh, uh, in the Muslim community in Atlanta. She is the founder of the Islamic Speakers Bureau, runs the Islamic Speakers Bureau, is more involved in helping non-Muslims understand the Islamic faith than anyone else I know. Um, and, and, and so I think, Sumaya, it's especially uh, lovely to have you on today because one of the things you care deeply about is how we all learn to relate to one another across our religious uh, faiths. Absolutely, Bill. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. This conversation is so important because we need to know about each other, like each other, work together to make our world better. We start with our own circle of influence. And so thank you so much for putting this together today. Um, So if you don't mind, I'd like to do something that may seem very basic and reductive, but I think it's it's valuable. I'd like to ask each of you to just take a moment, a brief moment, to describe what the holiday is about that your faith is about to celebrate. Rabbi Bregman, what is Passover? What does it honor and celebrate? Why is it important in the Jewish faith? Passover is the foundational story of Judaism. And it's such a fascinating story to have as your foundation, right? We were slaves. Uh, it's, it's part of all the liturgy around every other holiday. Why are we celebrating Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? It says in the Torah, because we remember the exodus from Egypt. We remember that we were once slaves, which I find so amazing. Uh, right now, I'm really resonating with the idea around recognizing the slavery that is ongoing and continuing in the world, right? We're called at Passover to remember that we we, we were we have to remember the exodus from Egypt as if we were there. And so what does that mean for us today? Uh, the way that it looks is that we have, uh, we give up bread and all things wheat, um, spelt millet rye as well, which I know aren't the most popular grains, but still it's the idea of giving things up. We have a theater at home on the first night, sometimes also the second night. And then you spend this week where you, you, let go of all of the things that are sort of puffed up and leavened in your life. It's a deeply spiritual time, a time of rebirth and renewal, a time of introspection. And it's also, I think, amazingly, the second night of Passover, you start counting the days from Passover to uh, Shavuot, which is the holiday where we celebrate receiving the Torah at Sinai. So it's, it's really steeped in this idea of freedom, and that freedom is a process, and it takes time to get from from liberation to liberation, and that there's different kinds of liberation. So uh, Jews uh, look at, in the in the Seder meal, uh, uh, the story of the Exodus, the story of how Moses was able to lead the people with God's help out of their bondage in, in Egypt. Um, and of course, God visits the uh, Egyptians with 10 plagues, the final one being the death of the firstborns. And we get the name Passover uh, from the fact that uh, uh, Moses instructed his people on the word of God to put blood above the uh, door frames mm-hmm. of their houses so that the angel of death would pass them over, would pass over them. Um, one of the quick things to, to ask you, and, and then I want to get everybody else in here, is, is that it strikes me that one of the things about the Passover Seder, the, when we do the Haggadah, which is the, the, the book that we read the service from, is that it's flexible. So I have seen online uh, uh, in the last couple of days people who are creating Haggadahs that honor what's happening to the Ukrainian people right now. They're finding a way to work that into the Seder, right? Correct. Um, I'm working some of that into the seders I'll be doing tonight. I'm hosting a seder in my home for family and friends, and then tomorrow we'll lead a congreg- I'll lead a congregational seder, and I'm, for sure we'll be talking about the situation in Ukraine. I mean, what's so beautiful about the seder is that it's always relevant, right? That that redemption, that the moment of Exodus is something that is 
lived every year, every moment, every day for every person. And we're always in that place of moving from restriction to freedom. And it's um, beautifully relevant right now, of course. Dr. Muriel, Good Friday is, I think it's fair to say, the darkest day in Christianity, the day that Christ, the passion of Christ, um, hit the crucifixion of Jesus, of course, making way for the greatest celebration of the faith, which is Easter on Sunday. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what Good Friday, especially, and, and then the Easter holiday means to you specifically and how, and how your congregation will relate to it as you talk to them about it this weekend. <clears throat> yeah, I think for us, well, I'll just say, speak for me um, more specifically, I think Good Friday represents really the world that we live in today. Uh, we live in the midst of a Good Friday world uh, where uh, we have immense suffering, we have injustice uh, that is all around us. And for us, Christ on the cross represents one who came uh, to liberate us from uh, that oppression and that injustice. Uh, this season for us really kind of began a little over 40 days ago when we celebrate, when we began this journey uh, during Lent. And it starts with Ash Wednesday, which is a reminder that from dust we've come to dust we shall return. And it's this 40 days of preparation, of sacrifice, of giving up, of taking on, uh, of introspection and reflection uh, over our lives that uh, culminates on Palm Sunday with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, and, you know, the unique, I think, uh, you know, paradox of Palm Sunday is it wasn't as much of a parade as it was a poor people's campaign. It wasn't you know, more, it, it was, you know, people crying out, Hosanna is not necessarily a praise as much as it is a prayer. They're saying, save us, please. That's what Hosanna translates in Greek. And I think we're crying that very same thing today when we see many of the social ills in our world, the economic injustice, political injustice, uh, when we see social injustice, we are crying out, save us, please. And so as we progress through Holy Week, Monday, um, Thursday, yesterday, uh, we see this, the, the Passover meal that Christ has with his disciples, uh, and we actually celebrated a Seder meal, uh, Passover meal, last night. Uh, and so uh, as we've been studying the Passover through the season of Lent, and you know, there he, Christ washes his disciples' feet, uh, and he foretells what will happen uh, at the crucifixion. And so it brings us to Good Friday, uh, to your point, uh, the darkest day uh, in the, in what we what we believe in our tradition, where Christ died, but we are reminded uh, that death is not the end because Resurrection Sunday uh, is on the way. Um, Dr. Muriel, um, from my days going to church with my dad, I remember very clearly some of the last words of of Jesus. Um, some of which are troubling and others which are celebratory in some ways. I mean, so I, I think of the the words that we know today um, as he's being. Uh, put on the cross. Uh, right. He says of the soldiers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But yeah. as he is suffering, as he's in agony on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, which is a dark, dark, desperate moment. But he finally says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit which changes, it transforms the entire suffering of Christ in some ways, I think. Yes? Right, right. I think it's a beautiful portrait of suffering and redemption and sacrifice at the same time in the same place. And, and that is what Jesus was modeling for us uh, on the cross. And the seven last sayings of Christ, which we uh, will be uh, engaging in just this afternoon, uh, will be preaching the seven last sayings of Christ, and that's one of the traditions that we have uh, in, in, our, in our faith tradition. Uh, and so, yes, I think you're right. Um, going from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, uh, is, I think, a beautiful portrait of what Christ was trying to accomplish on the cross, even in the midst of his agony. Um, I want to talk to you, Sumaya, and then Patricia. I want you to get in, into the conversation as well. But Sumaya, um, we're in the, I think we're right at the midway point right now of Ramadan. Um, tell us what is Ramadan uh, and, and what, what do Muslims do during Ramadan? Thank you for the question, Bill. Uh, Ramadan is the ninth month, as you mentioned, in the lunar Islamic calendar. 
And it is a month of fasting, and it's a total fast from dawn to sunset. No water, no food, no marital relationships, no smoking for those who do smoke. Um, and it's total abstention uh, from worldly pleasures. And, you know, so that's the mechanical of Ramadan, but there is a bigger and deeper dive into it. I look at Ramadan as a spiritual boot camp for the almost 2 billion Muslims mm-hmm. around the world, where their focus should be about spirituality, about God, about being connected to oneself, being present, being intentional, and how does one transform themselves from where they're at to their better self. And it's a, it's a journey that people need to be taking. It's also a month where good deeds are highly, highly encouraged because Muslims believe that during Ramadan, any good deeds, charity, uh, nice words, smiling in your neighbor's face or, you know, doing something for others is highly rewarded. So is it not only rewarded for the act itself, but it's multiplied. Now, one aspect of Ramadan as well is when people are fasting, they feel the hunger. They feel the hurt of people who are less fortunate. So that tends to make Muslims much more generous during this month. It is also believed to be the month where the Quran was first revealed to Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him. So uh, we see that as Muslims, as a celebration of the Quran. And every night, in addition to the five daily prayers, Muslims around the world will perform an extra prayer. It's called a tarawih. And most people read about one-thirtieth of the Quran every night. And the idea is to finish reading the Quran within the month of Ramadan in the special prayers. It's a Tom's community. People eat together. Uh, people pray together. And right now with COVID, hopefully on its tail end, uh, still people are being careful with that. But um, families getting together, communities getting together is a big part of Ramadan. I read a wonderful commentary uh, by an um, Islamic leader who said Ramadan has always been about challenges and opportunities, the physical challenge of abstaining from food and water, the internal challenge of abstaining from frustration, annoyance, irritation, and anger, the challenge of perseverance with humility and good humor, the opportunity to spend more time in search of spiritual happiness, more time in prayer and contemplation. And I read that now, Patricia, because... In these difficult times, I, I, I'm not. I, I, I know this is a broad generalization, but I think we're all hungry for something greater than ourselves, greater than um, who we are as we struggle with um, the pandemic, with toxic politics, with all of these things. That's why I think a conversation like today, Patricia, has some value. I really have felt my own uh, blood pressure and pulse kind of lower and slow during this conversation, to be honest with you. It is so grounding um, to hear a message about faith. And it's amazing to me how similar all three of these traditions are at this point of the year, so much about sacrifice and redemption and connecting with your faith. And I'd love to know from all three of y'all, COVID has disconnected us so much from each other, from our faiths and our communities. Have you all Found your um, your uh, parishioners in your case, um, Reverend. Have you found your your group being feeling disconnected, and how are you reconnecting with everybody um, as we feel like we are getting hopefully at the tail end of COVID? I think that's a great, Dr. Muriel, let me put that in context. I looked at your website the other day, and there's a wonderful video of you very joyously welcoming your congregation back to in-person services, which I think you started uh, uh, earlier in the month. I don't know if it was Palm Sunday or not, but you're open for business again. So speak to Patricia's question in that context. It has been so refreshing being back in person. You don't know how much you miss something until you can't do it. And I think we took for granted our ability to gather. Uh, and this is a part of the beloved community. We need one another. Human beings crave interaction. And so from that perspective, I think people are refreshed and energized. Uh, and it's just great to be back in worship together. Uh, Patricia, to your point on the other side, I think COVID, in a sense, drew us closer to our faith in the sense that we had to rely more and more on the things that have grounded us and really get back to some of the basics. I know for 
for us, uh, for, for me in particular, uh, it grounded me closer to my family, um, deeper in my prayer life, um, in terms of a holistic care of self from mental, physical, emotional. Uh, you know, we've had to uh, say goodbye to parishioners, and that's difficult, you know, in terms of having to, you know, have funerals and you know, still in the midst of that care for people, not being able to go in the hospitals and not, you know, being able to be that pastoral presence near people's bedsides. I mean, that's very difficult as a religious leader, that craves community, and you've been given um, the uh, the responsibility to care for people. And so I think in one sense, it really did disconnect us, but in another sense, it gave us more of, I think, an, an, an exploration or, or an opportunity to find better ways to connect uh, in, in this pandemic. So uh, definitely a both and. Rabbi Bregman? What we're seeing is very similar, um, that people's internal and private spiritual lives really were pushed to grow and flourish. And now as the opportunity to come back together is emerging, I think we're, we're really rethinking, well, what is this world that we live in now? And who are we now? I mean, we're, we're different. We are different as a humanity at this moment in time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so therefore, <clears throat> religion needs to catch up with who we are now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think that, that the job of religion is to help us to enhance our sense of humanity, enhance our sense of connectedness one to another, our sense of connectedness to self, our sense of connectedness to God, our sense of connectedness to world. And since all of those things have shifted in some way through this time, we're really reconsidering exactly what are we as a religious institution trying to enhance humanity do, right? What does that look like? Do our services look the same? Do we meet the same pacing? How has that changed? And I think for us specifically, you know, we have the, um, the, the unique challenge of um, in the, rising the rise of anti-Semitism. And so one of the pieces that we're also contending with is that we're now doing our security very differently, which affects how we can get together because, you know, if we're going to get together, we now want to make sure that we have our police presence there. So um, we're post onset of pandemic, we're post Coleyville, we're post so many, you know, so many things right now. It's all it's all up for um, all up for reconsideration, which is a beautiful and terrifying moment to be in. <laughs> Go well, ahead, Shabaya. I want to add that um, of course COVID had its uh, negative sides, but it also brought some positives. Right, we became as human beings more innovative about how to connect. So it's no longer just need to see each other face-to-face, uh, -face, but what are other ways? Uh, you know, like we're doing the show today. And um, this allowed us to kind of get over that period of time with COVID and still keeping connections. I know that many mosques around the country and here in Atlanta offer different options uh, in terms of prayer, especially with Ramadan, having the Tarawih prayer every night. People miss that for the last few years. So mosques around town are giving people options. Um, it could be live streamed. It could be in-person, indoors, social distancing. It could be outside where they offer the prayers. So being innovative and finding ways that are different from what we have been used to. And just like uh, the rabbi said, going forward, our new norm is not going to be the old norm, COVID, and it's not going to be the COVID time. It's going to be something between uh, the two. And I think it's going to attract more people and offer more options. Patricia, um, I thought your question was really important um, because I know I'm feeling this sense that, as I said a minute ago, I, I'm really looking for something to give me more hope. And um, I, I found a, a, a verse from the Quran that I thought was appropriate. I, I think it's uh, 1846. The true foundation of hope is the good that we do in this life. God is with you and will never deprive you of your good deeds. And then it goes on. Do not lose heart nor fall into despair. You shall triumph if you are believers. True success comes to those who believe. Now, 
Muslims would say that means you have to believe in Allah. But I think that's a statement that comes from any to any faith, um, a belief in God. Sumaya is kind of already signaling me, no, 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 it doesn't have to be just Allah. But Patricia, I think we're all looking for something a higher something to take us out of a despair that's creep crept into our lives. I I know I am. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> but I think also we're looking for ways to connect with each other and with our communities despite faith differences. And what I love about this conversation is that it is finding so many shared values and so many similarities that enrich our communities. Um, and I think it's so fascinating um, that there are so many interfaith um, uh, efforts and um, Reverend for you to have done a Seder last night and then move into uh, Good Friday and Easter. Um, I think it's just fascinating. And um, how are how are all I know all three religions are working across faith lines. How do y'all why is that important to you right now? Because it seems like it's happening more and more. Well, let me throw something in here. I, let me just say this, because you, you ask the perfect question. I was, dis, I, I was really distraught to realize that the, a top item in the NPR newscast, uh, Rabbi Bregman and Sumaya Khalifa, was going to be about this latest clash between Muslims and Jews um, at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is Jews think call the uh, Temple Mount, and which again is right above the, the Western Wall. So Rachel and Sumaya, from your points of view, how do you, when, when, when confrontations like this occur between Muslims and Jews and raise these ancient questions about some of the things that divide Muslims and Jews, how do you find ways? Sumaya, you should go first because that's your whole life is working to bridge those gaps. Uh, it makes it challenging for us here. And with the ISD, we focus on Metro Atlanta and how can we build relationships with all different communities, including the Jews and the Christians and everybody else. And I just want to point out that a couple of nights ago, the ISD, the Islamic Speakers Bureau of Atlanta, uh, co-hosted a Ramadan iftar with Mayor Andre uh, Dickens. And it was held at City Hall, and we had about 170 people, different backgrounds, different religions, different races, different everything. And we were all together, seated, and enjoying each other's company and learning about each other, eating together the iftar or the breaking the fast meal. And um, Mayor Dickens talks about drawing circles of inclusion. And I think that particular Ramadan iftar had... Uh, you know, like Rabbi Peter Berg, who gave the Jewish blessings, um, Sean Smith, Reverend Sean Smith, Imam Suleiman Hamid. And we really walked the walk of bringing people together across differences. We talked about the conversion, the, the convert, convert well, look, I can say that word, but how all the three faith traditions are celebrating something during this time and how amazing that is. And we celebrated each other. So for me, the world that I want to see is a replica of what took place in Atlanta City Hall. Rabbi Bregman? You know, in our context here in Brunswick, Georgia, we are um, shortly after the, the trials and the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And it's still very present for us in this community in a way that I think in other places of the world, it's starting to dissipate. Um, and one of the things that's come out of that experience here is a, a renewed dedication amongst the faith leaders across the faith spectrum in this community of coming together and being in relationships. So we're, we're seeing those beautiful things. We've got, Maya, to your, to your that beautiful vision, we have our, our lunch. We do a once-a-month once a lunch where we sit together and are just together. I think it really matters. I think in moments like this where we hear the news coming out of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, it's, it's easy to get hyper-focus on that one point. And I think the spiritual call of the moment is to hold that one point in your hand, right, to draw a circle in it and say that it's, it's easy to be just there, but to know that all of existence is so much larger than just this moment. And so in addition to whatever's happening there, also what's happening here, right? also what's happening in our individual communities where people are bridging, where people are listening and talking and holding uh, one another with such beauty. And so I think 
So while that moment is very scary and, and disruptive and, and unsettling to hear, particularly as we're about to engage in this conversation, um, it's a reminder to me of the power of what we're doing here as a counterpoint to all of the ways in which the world tries to pull us apart. Pull us apart. Um, I got to get to the first break of the show. Um, I, I, you, Rabbi Bregman, you, you talked about anti-Semitism right now. Um, and, and I think, Dr. Muriel, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the struggle uh, that uh, I suspect you're dealing with in your congregation over how people are talking about race uh, it, these days and how you deal with that. We'll do that and a lot more after these messages. We're talking about the power of faith in difficult times uh, today on this day of Good Friday for Christians, the first night of Passover for uh, Jews, and the continuation of Muslim of is of uh, I'm sorry of Ramadan for uh, the Muslim community. Patricia Murphy is with us, of course. Sumaya Khalifa, Rabbi Rachel Bregman, and Reverend Dr. Kevin Muriel join us for the conversation. Um, Dr. Muriel. I read yesterday an essay in the New York Times by a rabbi named Sharon Bros out in Los Angeles, and she points out something that I thought was fascinating. There, she looked at a copy of a slave Bible, and by that I mean a Bible written for slaves and published in 1807 um, that completely excludes the story of the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. And apparently the reason it was excluded was because it might have given slaves in uh, the West Indies, which is where the book was published, the idea that they too could escape slavery. That is a troubling story for Christians and for Jews as well. Dr. Muriel? Wow. Um, I, didn't <laughs> I think that is very troubling. And I just want to want to go back to just briefly, Rabbi Berg, uh, Bregman, uh, in your conversation about Brunswick. I want to. Th that's such an important conversation because we were in Brunswick, and uh, we were there for the trial. And one of the things I observed is that no one there was asking what faith tradition you were a part of. No one there was asking what God do you pray to. We were there for justice. We wanted to see. Uh, as Amos said, justice rolled down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We were there because we wanted to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And I think we have so much in common when we focus on you know, the things of our world that bring justice and truth and righteousness and a better way for all of God's children. Uh, and so I juxtapose that uh, against what we have seen during the pandemic and how during the pandemic uh, it has given America, and I would say with the world watching, an opportunity to engage in honest dialogue and face our, raci our racial issues here in our country. Uh, the death of George Floyd uh, caught on camera, the devastation, not just from black folks, but from across the country and that that portrait of injustice, and then Ahmaud Arbery and, uh, and so on and so forth, Breonna Taylor, so many others. And what we saw even during a pandemic was people from all faith communities, various ethnicities, various racial groups, various socioeconomic classes, uh, gender, age, you know, uh, it does, didn't matter. We want, people wanted justice. Uh, and I think if we can get to a place where where we can focus on issues and not as much on our divisions, I think it opens up a, conver a conversation piece for us to say we do have differences. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. However, there's more that unites us uh, than divides us. And, you know, your race or my race should not exclude us from coming to the table um, or uh, and, and dismiss the conversation. So, um, Bill, I just wanted to raise that uh, just as a, as a point yeah. of growth during the pandemic. Um, and I think just uh, one more uh, brief comment, I think excluding the Exodus narrative uh, from the biblical text is not only irresponsible, but it's dangerous. 
Well, mm-hmm. it, it, but, but part, part of the reason I brought it up, uh, Dr. Muriel, is to say, you know, we're, we're, we're post-President Obama. Uh, we're back to a time when divisions among uh, uh, races is, seems to be growing, not getting narrower. I understand that there are efforts in your church with Sumaya, with Rabbi Bregman, to work together. But you know as, certainly that um, all of a sudden there are real problems in terms of how much of, the, of some of the white community sees uh, black people today. How do you wow. talk to your congregation about giving them hope? in the largest sense right now when they're being marginalized in some ways in our society again? Well, we, we believe in building bridges rather than building walls. And I believe that now uh, during, you know, especially during this time and this holy season, we commit ourselves uh, to bridge building. Uh, and so I think in that effort, we are able uh, to, to name the oppression, to name the systemic racism, to name many of the systemic evils that we see in our world, while also saying, how are you willing to work together collectively with us uh, to to deconstruct these systems that have oppressed millions of people for centuries? Dr. Miro, I love how you talked about focusing on issues rather than ideologies, because uh, there is so much um, in common when you erase not a race, but when you focus on sort of what um, is shared, especially a goal. And um, it, I have written my Sunday column this week about an art exhibit from George Bush, George W. Bush, who I think for most Democrats, they're like, oh, my God, I don't want to go see that. Um, <laughs> but he's taken up painting, and he has done 43 portraits of immigrants and um, has focused. I thought it was really moving because he focuses on their faces and on their stories and on their shared dreams and hopes and aspirations. And he humanizes where there is so much effort to dehumanize um, some uh, the other. And so um, uh, Rabbi Bregman and others, I'd love to hear from y'all um, how we can get away from kind of dehumanizing and categorizing each other. And how do you tell your um, your uh, congregation to proceed, um, especially when there is anti-Semitism, and then that would create a natural reaction to, I, I'm afraid of the world. The world is angry with me. How do you go forward in that with that sense of and create hope, nonetheless? I think right now is um, a really tempting moment to move, and I think the call is to stay still. I think there's so much that needs to be held and needs to be um, processed. Um, and if we move too quickly through this moment, what we end up doing is what we've always done, which is take all of our discomfort and pour it out on other people. And so right now my focus is on, um, you know, the Exodus is perfect. Um, and I just want to say the idea of taking the Exodus out of the Bible is like the idea of taking freedom out of the soul. You can't do it, right? You could take that story out and it wouldn't matter. We all as human beings long for freedom and redemption to be seen, to be heard, and to be relieved from our burdens. So, you know, I, I see where the person who wrote that Bible was coming from, but I doubt it was effective in any way, shape, or form. Um, well, part of it story, is, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Please right, continue. Right in that story, we have the exodus, and then you wander in the, del- the wilderness for 40 years. There has to be time to, to change, and that time is really uncomfortable, and I think that's really where we are right now. Uh, and so uh, for me, the way that I help try to build hope amongst my congregants and my community, uh, even beyond my congregation, is to talk about being, you know, just sitting in the life soup, for lack of a more technical term, right? Just being in that place where it doesn't feel good and to hold and to know we're okay, right? We're okay, and this isn't forever, and this is part of the process because this is where the learning and the growing happens, right? You get this in in Passover with the idea Mm -hmm. of the masa, right? How long you let it sit is like a really critical thing. How long you let things rise and puff up and get in the way of what needs to get done. Right now is now is that time to be a little uncomfortable and 
and to know that this time will pass and to trust the process and to know that the redemption is coming and that there is a wilderness to walk through and that we don't walk through it alone. We do it together. We do it with God. We do it next to our, our Muslim brothers and sisters and our Christian brothers and sisters because we're, sisters because we're all walking on a journey, right? The, the theme that came through for me as we all described our holidays is this idea of journey. And that's where we are, right? We're all journeying um, together and, and we get there by holding hands and being in it and staying in it and not escaping out, right? Don't don't run away. Don't go so quick. Yeah, don't go oh. so quick to the place of, of, of hope. Just I mean, hope is there, right? But don't go so fast because we can't get there without this person. Oh, my, Sumaya, what a message. Be still and let the process play out. Wander in the desert. Allow the process to happen. Sumaya? I just want to make a couple of comments here in terms of the Bible where the Exodus story was taken out. It's uh, really, you know, concerning because that's what human beings have done through the ages is use religion to manipulate others. Uh, Whatever is the flavor of the day, let's take it out. Cut and paste and take this out, put this in, and let's make a story. Uh, and that's what happens with, with people, and that's very, very unfortunate that, you know, uh, we do that as humanity. The other point I want to make is, is Islamophobia is also on the right. So anti-Semitism and, and Islamophobia are two sides, and I would might as well, uh, you know, say racism. They're all one of the same sickness that people have, diseases of the heart. And for us to be stronger is for us to be together. Uh, we need to be uh, <clears throat> allies for each other. We need to get to know each other. Before we work on projects, before we work on issues, I have to be comfortable. And I know that Rachel is my friend. I know that the Reverend is my friend. I could go to them and they could come to me. We're all different faith traditions. And we need to be together uh, to work issues, to get to know each other, to make our communities better, to make our city better, to make our state better. And I really can't stress this enough. We need to step out of our comfort zone and get to know people. Dr. Muriel? I agree you know, wholeheartedly with everything that, that has been said. It is a journey. And I love this idea of being still and sitting in the tension and staying at the table. Uh, because if we try to move to the next phase too quickly, we're going to lose all that you know, has been presented before us, the table that has been set. We live in such a redactionist world that we have people always trying to take things out of what really is that, you know, trying to change history. Sometimes you have to sit in the the discomfort and the ugly of our history uh, so that we can face the reality of our present so that we can move into the glory of our future um, to the extent that we are willing to do that, first of all, as people of the human race, as you know, those who have been created, um, you know, for community, and I think once we get once we get to that point, that I believe I can see something good in you, and that you can see something good in me, and we can come to the table to have conversations, and to be in community, and I can value you as a human, and not dehumanize you because of what I think about you or I perceive about you. Um, and then it really kind of comes down to this issue of fear. We are afraid of what we don't know and who we don't know. And so I think we need a lot of education. We need a lot of communication. Uh, but we need to sit in this uh, and be still with it for a while. I got to get to the final break of the show. Uh, we will be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. Patricia Murphy, here's one of the things that strikes me among the many things we've already talked about, that uh, all three of the faiths that are represented on the show uh, uh, come together on in this holiday season. Number one, Good Friday, uh, the darkest day of the Christian calendar, is followed by the joyous celebration of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, Um, a a moment of hope uh, and, and, and the fulfillment of a belief um, Passover. We recount at our Seder meal uh, the story of the suffering of Jews in Egypt, 
uh, the uh, length of time it took for Pharaoh to have his heart melted down and allow the Jews to leave, but they do leave. Um, they are set free. And Muslims who go through a long month of fasting and prayer, ultimately, if they do it properly, um, are brought closer to God. Patricia, these are all stories about hope in difficult times and under difficult circumstances. Well, and I think that is one of the um, loveliest roles that religion plays in our lives and faith plays in our lives, is that for me, there always is hope in it, even in the darkest times, or especially in the darkest times. And so um, for people who um, have a faith tradition, to me, that's a, a, such a huge piece of it. And um, uh, I think for <clears throat> for all three of these faiths, <clears throat> there is so much in common, but there is so little, there's so much misunderstood as well between the three faiths. And um, very quickly, I don't want to take us off on a tangent, but Sue Maya, you talked really beautifully about um, to be stronger is to be together, but that in order to be together, we have to know each other. Um, and tactically, what's the best way to start that for, especially for um, people uh, who are not Muslim, what's the best way to start to start to understand and um, and be connected, uh, even as a non-Muslim. I love that question. Thank you, Patricia. Um, our our country and our city is very diverse. Uh, get to know the neighbors that are around you, because I mean, in my neighborhood, we have everybody here. We have African Americans, we have um, immigrants, we have white people, we have every everything. So just walk across the street and get to know your neighbor. At work, diversity is is there. Get you know, go to lunch or have coffee with someone who you think is very, very different than you and have a conversation and, you know, learn more about that person. That's how we build community. This is how we break down walls. This is how we break down stereotypes. Uh, for instance, not all Muslims are alike. They're very diverse. They dress differently. They believe differently. Uh, not all of them are observant. Some are and some aren't. The majority isn't. So, you know, challenging ourselves and setting goals. I want to meet three people this month that I have a conversation with. Mm. What happens is that a person becomes a better person by knowing the other. And mm. that's my challenge to all our listeners. Get to know somebody that's different from you. Dr. Muriel, Sunday's one of the big, big days for you as a pastor. You've got to have been working on your sermon for some time now because uh, it's a big <laughs> one. Give us just a little hint about what you're going to be saying to your congregation in your message to them on Sunday. You know, Sunday is, yes, it is uh, the high <laughs> holy time for a Christian Easter Resurrection Sunday. And really, I'm going to talk about how the pandemic has, in, in effect, uh, brought a resurrection of the church, that God had to close our doors in order for the church to live. And that, for us, is, uh, you know, our physical doors were closed, but you know, we were still doing ministry. We probably served more people during a pandemic than we ever have. We probably gave more in assistance uh, out the door of the church than we ever had during a pandemic. We found more creative ways to connect with people during a pandemic, that there is this sense of resurrection that came out of a very dark period. And that's the story uh, of, of Easter. It is a, a, a moment of darkness that is resurrected uh, by, you know, by life. And it, it is, that's what we'll be celebrating. That's what I'll be talking about on Sunday. And you have two Easter services on Sunday, I think I noticed. So you're going to be talking, I would guess your entire congregation is going to try to find its way back into the sanctuary on Sunday at one service or another, Yes. We have two services, yes. We have an Easter sunrise service, which is at 6 a.m. in the morning, so y'all pray for us. Uh, <laughs> y'all pray for me. It's, <laughs> 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, it's, it's a tradition that, that we have, and it's a, it's a marvelous service. It's early uh, that we celebrate the resurrection, and then at 9 o'clock a.m. We'll, uh, we'll have another service. All of our services will be streamed. Well, excuse me, our 9 a.m. service will be streamed live. Uh, and so we know we'll have many more people in virtual world than we will uh, in the actual physical space. Oh, but nonetheless, okay. we celebrate together. Rabbi Bregman, um, Passover for a rabbi is not 
um, Rosh Hashanah, it's not Yom Kippur, which are your big days to really give uh, the biggest sermons of the year. But nevertheless, you are going to have a Seder with your congregation tomorrow. What, what have you thought? What are your thoughts about what you want to tell them at your Seder meal? I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking and thinking a lot about that idea of pause um, that, I, that I was mentioning before. And I, I think um, to put it in context of the world that we're in, because right, the Seder is always relevant, Exodus is ongoing, that um, there, are, there are cultural norms that uh, drive us and feed us and tell us who we're supposed to be. And I don't think we're the most aware that they are, those messages are coming in. And I think that the Seder gives us an opportunity to look at those and be more cognizant such that we can be more actively engaged in the cultural transformation that creates liberation and freedom for everybody. Why at the end of the Seder are the last words next year in Jerusalem? Hope. Hope. That always, no matter where you are, there is always, always hope that there is a better. No matter what world you're in, right, wherever you are, there's always a better. And Jerusalem is the, is the ultimate in beauty and unity, right, to go back to that story you started with, Bill, about all these faith traditions living in the same place in that moment of real beauty. Um, hope. So my, isn't that an extraordinary thing to have? That? I mean, I, it was my moment, so I don't mean to uh, build it up too much. But that was a remarkable <laughs> moment. Uh, it really does. That moment told me more about how alike we are as people than anything else that I've experienced, I think. That's awesome. We do have a lot in common. We're human beings first and foremost, and we need to uh, tap into our humanity. We need to excuse me, train ourselves to be better people. And I think that is the experience that I am personally going through right now with Ramadan and how to purify my intentions, how to um, do more good deeds and be there for everyone that needs help. And um, that raises me up spiritually and also just as a person. So we're, we're just about out of time, but Patricia, this conversation has been wonderful, but one of the keys, it seems to me, to it is all three of these leaders have told us about getting to a place of hope and, 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 and a positive sense of what the world is about. It's not easy. This requires a lot of work, and uh, it's our challenge, especially as we celebrate these holidays, to think about how we can do that work. It is, but, you know, for me, there's joy in that work. There's joy in what comes at the end of that. And, you know, I kind of think of leaving the center aisle on Easter Sunday. You are just so elated and explicably, and I hope that everyone gets to have that this weekend in their own way. Uh, Patricia Murphy, I'm so glad you were part of this conversation. Dr. Kevin Muriel of Cascade United Methodist Church. Have a wonderful Easter. Rabbi Rachel Bregman of uh, Beth Tefila in Brunswick. Good Seder to you uh, tonight, and Sumaya Khalifa of the Islamic Speakers Bureau. I hope the rest of Ramadan is meaningful to you. Whatever faith you are out there, whatever holiday you're celebrating this weekend, if any of them, I wish you a, uh, a joyous weekend. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back with another show on Monday. In the meantime, please take care. Stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody.